What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is Friday for me, and I just got off of work, so I'm feeling very happy, having a nice drink, just getting my <laughs> mind right so we could just talk about some true crime like we always do. I know Olivia is dealing with a bit of bad weather, so hopefully yeah. it holds out long enough and there's no catastrophe during recording. I hope all out, Aussie listeners are staying safe because there's a lot of rain here. I just sent Steph a video of like this flood in my backyard. So yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot of rain. So hopefully everyone's all right. A bit different to last year when there was just nonstop the other year, whatever year it is, <laughs> where there was nonstop <laughs> fires. But um, so, you know, That's I guess this is one good thing, you know, no fires, but yeah, the total opposite. It's crazy. Yeah, it's very windy here today, but I think it's over with. But if you guys hear any crazy background sounds just just blame it on the weather <laughs> can't do anything about that unfortunately it might be my cats but we'll just pretend it's <laughs> the wind speaking of whirlwinds and hurricanes and crazy weather mm. our move from facebook has still been a whirlwind <sighs> now we have a subreddit a lot of people suggested it a lot of people wanted it so we finally just went and did the damn thing have a subreddit under True Crime Society. Still just um, kicking off for just making some posts. If you have a Reddit, if you use it, come on over and make some posts and let's get some people chatting over there. I feel like now we have basically every single platform that anyone could ever want and still some people are just like, please just stay on Facebook. And we can't, we literally cannot. Like every week more and more things come out about, which I think just strengthens the argument for getting off Facebook. They said this week they're not going to support watch parties anymore, which I know are really popular in our group, you know, watching live car chases and things like that. So they, they've taken away the last remaining fun thing <laughs> that they had for a true crime group, um, which is a bit sad because I know everyone enjoyed those, but we'll figure out some other way we can do them on the new sites once the watch parties stop in a few weeks. Facebook actually put out like an official, like a press article. release, but I guess like a blog post article on how they're making groups safe, aka <laughs> just suppressing every single group that's not about like knitting family or local groups or yeah. the weather. I know a lot of people were commenting on the post that we made about that and like listing their groups that have just been removed with no warning. Like I know there was a Bailey Sarian with group with 72,000 members that is just gone with no warning and like all these other people listing their, you know, harmless groups all gone. And I know that someone else said, how can you now, like it was just a general chat about true crime groups on Facebook and they said something like, you just have to not use trigger words like murder and rape. I'm like, oh, my gosh, like murder. <laughs> 90% maybe like, of oh, true crime okay. stuff is murder related. And um, yeah, it's just and I know every day we still, even though we've turned off commenting for most of our posts and we don't have any new posts in the group, we've got new posts everywhere else, but in the group we still get daily um, notifications that Facebook have removed whatever. We don't know, still don't know what it is to this day, um, but we think a lot of them were just dumb, funny memes that people posted about true crime. And I know some of these people have actually had their accounts removed by Facebook for posting memes that they probably found on Facebook. So it's just Also ridiculous. from like posts from 2017 and 2018 yes. they're going back yep. through not leaving yep. no stone unturned and i know like i saw i don't know if it was you or Jeanette or someone posted it like a post from the power admin group and it was um <sighs> welcome our two new power admins one of them likes thrifting and going to coffee shops I'm like, oh my gosh it's just so ridiculous it's it's like they're living in their own or they want to be living in their own little 
non-inoffensive bubble where they only speak about coffee and, you know, just little things, nothing that anyone's actually interested in. So Yeah, but it's crazy because I feel like talking about true crime on like a platform as big as ours is helpful in a lot of ways because we have over 200,000 people in our Facebook group and posting some of these missing people or wanted people or murders that they're looking for information on. We get it out to like a pretty massive platform. And for some reason, Facebook just auto mods that into that we're talking about dangerous individuals or groups, which like, yeah, we are. I know that since we've had to move on Facebook, everyone's like, oh, and I know, and I still check Facebook daily, you know, a few times a day and all that. But I know that a lot of people are like, you know, I came, I only came to Facebook for this group. So they've lost, you know, even just if, if, you know, some of those people don't go there anymore because there's no new content on Facebook, you know, there are thousands and thousands of people. So just from our group, but then multiply that by all the other groups that they're getting rid of. Like they're losing yeah. a lot of traffic, it seems, but I just don't know if they really care. I guess they're like, so big I- they don't need it. I only really used Facebook just for our group and doing stuff like that. Like I don't go like on my news feed a lot to look at people. I don't really go through like other people's profiles and look at stuff. It was just for that. So, I mean, I'll still check our group just because some stuff is still open or to post things, but I'm definitely not using it much anymore. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, I'm the same. Anyways, we're not going (sighs) to hopefully harp on (laughs) Facebook every single episode, but for now we are. (laughs) <laughs> I just think it's important for people like I know someone accused us this week of just we made up all this stuff about Facebook and how they're getting rid of groups which we we totally didn't like we didn't want to do this you know we've had to I do absolutely it. do not want <laughs> to be doing this I would rather stay on Facebook yeah with it would all be much you. easier it would be so much easier for us anyway so I know like we just, I just think it's important to point out that these things are happening and there is proof from Facebook to the public you finally know, yeah, finally. So anyway. One more thing, just because I think it's funny. Like they were saying in this article, you could find the article in our Facebook group that I posted in there, but they're saying how they're like starting to suppress groups that break their community standards. And now they'll like, if you're trying to join a Facebook group that has broken the community standards, they'll give you a pop-up window warning that was like, this group's broken community standards of Facebook's in the past. Do you still want to join? As if like, you're going to be so offended by some fucking meme. It's so ridiculous. I've noticed too that when you leave a Facebook group now, like, you know, I've joined a few groups. I'm like, no, they're not for me. So I'll just leave. That's who are. Yeah. And it, and it says like, would you like to report this group? So it's just so ridiculous. Like if someone joins a group and they're like offended by something. Yeah. They're, they're absolutely looking for reasons. It's crazy. So anyways, in summary, we're sick of Facebook. So I hope that you guys come to any of our other millions of platforms that we've made. <laughs> Instagram, Reddit, um, our forum, which is truecrimesociety.com, Twitter, and anywhere else you guys can think of. We have our blog too. Yeah. So come join us at any one of those and please don't whine about it on Facebook because we're sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> For today's episode in honor of Women's National History Month, March, also the month of my birthday. So it's a great month for all of us. <laughs> we're going to be talking about this episode. We're going to actually split it into two episodes. So we're going to do four different cases of women who are missing slash dead and their husbands most likely, definitely, allegedly did it. <laughs> allegedly. It's always the husband allegedly. allegedly. <laughs> yes. Magic word, don't need any of these douchebags suing us, so <laughs> because we're that big time. <laughs> so the cases that we're going to do are 
Melinda Davis, um, Suzanne Morphew, Crystal Rogers, and Jennifer Dulos. To start, I got some stats about crimes against women and women being victims of crimes specifically related to their partner um, killing them or injuring them or committing a crime against them. So one stat that I found is homicide is one of the leading causes of death for women aged less than 44 years old in rates vary by race and ethnicity. Nearly half of female victims are killed by a current or former male intimate partner. So that's crazy that nearly yeah. half of all female victims are killed by a partner. I know they always say partner. too that the a female is more likely to be killed when she's pregnant by her partner as well. So that's a sad but interesting fact. So arguments and jealousy were common in precipitating circumstances among intimate partner-related homicides. One of 10 victims of IPV-related homicide were reported to have experienced violence within the month right before their death. And victimization rates for both males and females have been relatively stable since 2000. Males are more likely to be murder victims 76.8% of the time. Females were more likely to be victims of domestic homicides 63.7 time and sex-related homicides 81.7% of the time. So I saw that it said that like at the moment, the trend, it's like evening out where Males and females, as far as numbers or victims, are kind of around the same. But male victims are declining from where they used to be, whereas female victims are on the rise. So over the trend of like 10 years or whatever, male victims are going down and female victims are going up. And um, I think that some of these cases that we're going to speak about too, you always wonder how people think they're going to get away with it. But in a lot of these, well, in three of the cases anyway, kind of, or two, at least two, People are still getting away with it. So it's, you know, it's just a, maybe it's a dumb luck thing or a, I don't know. It's interesting anyway to note that sometimes people do get away with it, even when there's a very clear suspect. Yeah. Even though we all know it, the police know it, <laughs> their mom knows it, they all know it. Yeah. But sometimes there's just not enough evidence, I guess. But, anyways, so the first one we're going to talk about is, um, Melinda Davis, which just happened super recently. And it was pretty big in our group. A lot of people were into it. It happened, I think, the end of February? Yeah, February, February 25th. 25th. Yeah, so hers is a little different than the other cases we're going to be talking about because this one is mostly resolved for the most part anyways, whereas the other three are still unsolved, I guess, in a way. Melinda Davis was 33 years old, and she was reported missing on February 25th, 2021 from Shelby, Ohio. And Shelby is a very small town with a population of around 9,000 people. Melinda was a mother of at least five children, and she had at least one adult-aged child and younger ones that were 10, 13, 15, and 17. Um, her family said at the time that she was last seen near Shelby High School in her black Volkswagen Jetta. It's believed that she was going to meet her ex-boyfriend, John Henry Mack. The couple had dated previously for three years and broke up last August. Melinda was said to be headed, headed to pick up some items that she'd left at his home before they broke up. Lisa Davis is heartbroken. Her sister, Melinda, is missing. Don't hurt my sister. Let her go. He has kids. He has a family. He has a girlfriend. Um, 
Like, he needs to turn himself in and let my sister go. The last time anyone heard from Melinda Davis was Thursday morning. She was headed, her family told me, to her ex-boyfriend's house in Mansfield to pick up some things she left behind. When the 33-year-old did not show up for a breakfast date with her niece, her family immediately knew something was wrong and filed a report with the Shelby Police Department. They asked us to go out to his residence and do a welfare check, potentially on her, see if he knew where she was. So we then actually go out to that residence and we can't find him or her. Her daughter Tamia was very vocal on social media and she shared the following. Missing, please share. Melinda Davis Clark is Mexican and white, four foot eleven. She wears glasses, has two nose piercings, long brown hair with blonde streaks, a lot of tattoos. In parentheses, the outline of Arizona is on her left hand, and she's been abducted by a very dangerous controlling man her ex-boyfriend, John Mack. When he gets angry, he's a different person, and that's what a lot of people fail to realize. He has severe mood swings. She's been missing since yesterday. We believe they're in her black 2013 Volkswagen Jetta, Ohio registration. It says license plate number. They could also be in a white Honda. I don't know the specifications. I always have a hard time saying that. Specifications. I, I don't know the specifications. Counting my boyfriend <laughs> pointing out the words I say wrong again. <laughs> she was last seen wearing a white shirt, gray sweatpants, pink flip-flops. If you have information relating to her, please call the Shelby Police Department. Help my mama get found. So you can probably get an idea of where this story is going. Her last known destination was at the home of her apparently dangerous ex-partner. Um, and it seems like there's vibes that he was abusive towards her in the past. The case kind of seemed to move fairly quickly from there. On February 26th, the next day, police checked a home in Mansfield, Ohio, and didn't find Melinda or John there. But whatever they found in the home led them to issue an arrest warrant for John Mack for kidnapping her. Melinda's daughter, Tamia, revealed at the time that John asked a family member to leave his home on the day Melinda disappeared. She wrote in a Facebook post, He literally told his niece to leave the house and not to come back till 5 p.m. and randomly tells my mom to come get her belongings after all this time of him holding it over her head. He had everything planned out clearly, and it's sickening that people really think he's innocent. Where are you then, John Mack? It's interesting that after so much time, like, I wonder if they were still kind of on and off, even though they broke it off in August, because it's like, you know, six, that's six months or even probably longer. But, you know, he obviously did plan this. So it's just, you know, I wonder if they were still kind of seeing each other and something set him off because of that. Yeah. Or even it could have been just as simple as, like, she posted something on her Facebook that made him annoyed jealous or something yeah yeah um another post that tamia made said no one knows what happens behind closed doors she has fought to get away from him she got a new phone moved away from mansfield to shelby got a new car people don't do that if they feel safe also he has stalked her and harassed her while trying to get away from him no one walked in our family's shoes and have seen what we've seen i don't understand why people are so rude her family are on here and see every comment. If he's such a good guy, where is he? Why is he hiding from cops and everyone? And why is he calling his family on a restricted number telling them he's safe and loves them, but not a word from Melinda? So I guess, does it seem like, is that a Facebook like group she posted in? Yeah, I think so. Like it's, yeah, or yeah, I don't know actually if it's a Facebook group or if she made that post, but it says at the top, Tamia Davis, no one knows what happens. Maybe it is a group. I don't know. I just, I got that from our group. So I don't know. Yeah. It looks like she's (laughs) telling people in the group that they're fucking rude, which they probably are. Yeah. 
So from there, the Mansfield police, they started a large-scale search for Melinda. They enlisted the help of Ohio Special Response Team and the Richland County Emergency Response Team. The Mansfield Police Department made a post that said... The Mansfield Division of Police is actively searching the southwest area of the city in the vicinity of Marion Avenue and Glesser Avenue in reference to the missing person investigation of Melinda K. Davis. Miss Davis is currently listed as a missing person out of Shelby, Ohio. This is a collaborative effort with the assistance of Ohio Special Response Team and the Richland County Community Emergency Response Team. Residents in this search area may see officers in the OSRT or CERT members out on foot and checking with residents and homes in the area. There's no additional information to release at this time. So from there, Melinda's niece also posted on social media about the plans they made before her disappearance. Her niece is named Jessica. She said, Melinda Davis, my aunt was supposed to meet up with me for a breakfast date at 10 a.m. on the 25th, the day we reported her missing. We planned the night before to have breakfast at Denny's Restaurant in Ontario. I fucking love Denny's. <laughs> the intention was to catch up since our schedules finally lined up. She gave a specific address of where she was meeting up with John Henry Mack. He supposedly had belongings still that belonged to her brother, my uncle, and asked her to come get them. Melinda was very re reluctant to go, but those items had a high sentimental value. She told me she was going to meet up with him, John Mack, before our breakfast date and has not been heard from since. Please, y'all, help us by sharing, praying, and keeping your eyes peeled, especially if you're in the Mansfield area. At this point, the U.S. Marshals offered a $5,000 reward for information leading to the arrest of John Mack. In an article by News 5 Cleveland, Melinda's friend Paula Littlefield gave some more info about Melinda's state of mind at the time. And this is a quote. She said, I'm almost to Johnny's house. If you don't hear from me in a few hours, something may have gone wrong. I said, oh my gosh, you've got me freaked out. So the two of them set up a plan for Melinda to call Paula when she was done at the house, but that call unfortunately never came. It's sad that she didn't take anyone. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but it's sad that she didn't take anyone with her. It sounds like she was worried, you know, it's shitty that know. she would have had to take someone with her, but, it, you know, that might have changed things. Maybe not. Who it knows? always makes me sad when, I can't think of a bunch of other ones, but Susan Powell did it just because mm. we just had watched that HLN yeah. documentary on it. When they always like say right before something like this happens, like if anything happens to me or if you don't hear from me, like this happened or like if I suddenly disappear for some reason, it was this person. And it's just like, oh, they fucking knew and it still happened. So it's very um, not creepy, but I guess morbid or yeah, just like if only they had have known. Yeah, it just gives you a, a sad feeling. Yeah. Um, her friend continued to say, when I pulled onto the road, I saw a sheriff's car and Melinda's niece, and I knew I knew something was wrong. So the search for Melinda went on for days. Her family appealed for John Mack to hand himself in. John's niece, Whitney, made the following plea. John, turn yourself in. It has affected both families because we need answers and we care for both of you. On Thursday, March 5th, around eight days after Melinda was last seen, there was a break in the case. John Mack was arrested without incident in Mansfield, Ohio, after police received a tip from the public. He was arranged on... Uh, arranged? <laughs> <laughs> he was arranged. He was arraigned on Friday, March 6th, on a charge of kidnapping in relation to Melinda's case. We also learned that there was blood found in his residence, and this is what led them to charge him with kidnapping in the first place. And it was believed to be Melinda's blood. 
a million dollar cash and personal reconnaissance bond was set by magistrate john mccolster of mansfield municipal court also arrested at this time was john's son named jabin mack and just to be clear this name is spelled j-a-y-b-y-n for jabin jabin mack 18 years old trashy as these people are (laughs) yeah not if you got like a couple of y's in your name and not a lot of vowels I don't know. It might not be a good sign. It's definitely a made-up name. Yeah, right? I've never even heard that. Um, But Jabin was arrested. He's 18 years old. And his what? He was married at 18. And his wife was arrested, Alexandria Mack, also 18, of Belleville. So both were arraigned Friday morning on a charge of obstructing official business, a felony of the third degree. Their cash and personal reconnaissance bonds were each set at $5,000. So there's more information about their arrest that comes from Mansfield News Journal. And it says, Alexandria Mack and Jabin Mack admitted to authorities that they knew Mack Jr. was wanted when they made contact with him on Tuesday at 87 South Adams Street and set up a meeting to pick him up Thursday in Columbus, according to court records. And to be clear, Mack Jr. is John Mack. He's yeah, no, it's John a bit Mac confusing Jr., how they refer to him as Mac Jr., but yeah, John Mac is Mac Jr. The main guy. Yeah. Mac Jr. Ju- Why are they calling him Mac Jr.? I don't know. I don't know because- It sounds like McDonald's. And then, even, then you think that Jabin would be Mac Jr. because he is the son of John. Anyway, I don't know. I don't know why they call him that. Whatever. Mac Jr.'s um, arraignment on Friday morning was held via FaceTime from Richland County Jail with the magistrate using his laptop while Alexandria Mack and Jabin Mack were arraigned via video conferencing from the jail. McCollister imposed a no-contact order on Mack Jr. for the victim, the victim's family, and both Alexandria Mack and Jabin Mack. The magistrate also ordered electronic monitoring for all three Macks. (laughs) Both Alexandria Mack and Jabin Mack posted bond after 1 p.m. Friday and are out of jail, according to the sheriff's office. Mack Jr. remains in jail. This brings us to Sunday, March 14th, 18 days after she's gone missing and police made a terrible discovery near Galloway, Ohio, and they found Melinda's Volkswagen Jetta and with it, they found her body in the trunk of the car. It is not the way anyone wanted the search for Melinda Davis to end. Her black 2013 Jetta was spotted last night parked on Zachary Court in Galloway, Ohio. Her body was discovered in the trunk. Probably the best thing that uh, the suspect did for us was to boast how her body would never be found. And uh, you don't know the determination of all the people standing back there. Right now, Mac is locked up in jail facing kidnapping charges, but officials tell me that more charges are expected to be filed. As for Melinda Davis's family and friends, they tell me that they're heartbroken the way that this search has ended. Her sister, Lisa Davis, spoke to the media at the time, and she said, I never wanted to know something and not know something at the same time. It was a hard day, and it's a hard day today. Police recovered the vehicle following a tip from the public. Tiffany Kaiser, who lives in Leonard Green Apartments, where the Jetta was found on the far west side of Columbus, less than two miles from Galloway, said she noticed the car because it didn't belong to anyone in the area that she knew. She said a video she took in the parking lot on February 27th shows the Jetta in the background. So it seems like John dumped Melinda where she was found almost straight after her disappearance, and that is where she and the car remained. 
Lisa also told the media at the time that she was caring for Melinda's young children and was seeking to obtain custody of them. She also told us more about her sister. She said she was very popular everywhere she went. She was outgoing but not overwhelming. She was the life of the party. It was her personality. Melinda just clicked with people. She didn't care if people saw her flaws. She showed people them, and she had a lot of love for her children and love for herself. Richland County Prosecutor Gary Bishop held a news conference after Melinda was found. A question was asked about the evidence behind the kidnapping charge, and his response was primarily blood. Sounds like there was a lot of blood for them to be able to bring a charge of kidnapping, you know. Yeah, it must have been clear that there was like a severe injury at least, if not death. He also announced that an autopsy would be undertaken for Melinda and any additional charges would be laid at a later date. John Mack was also charged with receiving stolen property following the search of his home in late February. Authorities found $7,660.99 worth of merchandise (laughs) in boxes, including a Sentinel safe, numerous computer monitors, a desktop computer, an iPad, three sewage pumps, a generator, four boxes of new clothing, wall shelves, a box of Bluetooth speakers, a microwave, seven pairs of muck boots, a hatchet, bolt cutters, four carpet runners, a box of car parts, and a robotic vacuum. (laughs) Very specific things he stole. Yeah, it's a strange list. After doing a bit of a search about him, he's had many previous run-ins with the law, and he's been in and out of the prison system four times before. Sounds like a general loser. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a lot of just, like, petty bullshit yeah. crimes. Like, I don't, like, what is he benefiting from? Um, so just to go through them quick, January 1997, starting early when he was 19, he was arrested with some other people for car break-ins. But basically with the car break-ins, they were just stealing um, stereos, speakers, toolboxes, things like that, kind of like the stuff that they found in his home. Um, In a separate incident on October 13th, 2010, authorities reported finding more than $100,000 in stolen tools, automobile parts, and equipment at a residential property, which is his property. So again, stealing just bullshit, petty items. And he was charged with two counts of receiving stolen property and one count of having weapons under disability after authorities found a gun in a large toolbox. I don't even know what that, I've never heard of that, weapons under disability. I don't know what that I didn't know what that meant either. I might Google it while you're talking. Okay. So for all these crimes, the charges and times that he spent in jail is he received nine months for receiving stolen property in 1997, four years on charges of receiving stolen property, theft, arson, and tampering with evidence in 1998, and that went to 2001, a three-year prison sentence for tampering with evidence, serving seven months with judicial release, so that was 2011 to 2012, and a two-year term for possession of drugs. And I guess possession of drugs kind of makes more sense as to why he's doing all these like little petty thefts, maybe for drug money and things like that. I found out what it means. Do you want me to t- tell you? <laughs> yeah. No, don't tell me. <laughs> it sounds like this may be an, like a, a law that's specific to or a charge that's specific to Ohio because it comes up, you know, as, a, as an Ohio thing. Like a state thing, law. But it's, 
Yeah. It says the person is under indictment or has been convicted of a felony offence of violence. The person is under indictment and has been convicted of drug possession or abuse. Or the person is drug dependent, in danger of drug dependence, or a chronic alcoholic. So basically it sounds like he shouldn't have a gun and he had one. For whatever reason, he shouldn't be having a gun and he had one. So it's not just like, you know, a normal person has a gun. So anyway, interesting. Oh, yeah. Seems like if... I think it's funny that they throw, like, alcohol in there. <laughs> Interesting. Um, so preliminary hearings for all three Macs have been scheduled for 1 p.m. March 25th in Mansfield Municipal Court. And that's the latest news on that. So right now it's just going through court and if there's going to be a trial or if he's going to take a plea deal along with the other Macs. They haven't released her autopsy or anything like that yet. We'll put it on the blog mm. when they do, but I'm assuming it sounds like she was probably beaten or something or stabbed yeah, but involved a lot of blood yeah that'd be my thought blunt force i feel like a lot of times with these types of cases too it's blunt force injury or stabbing yeah so now yeah, that was a very sad one she you know had a lot of family who cared for her and they noticed straight away that she was missing which you know and i'm glad it didn't drag out for years or like some of these cases have for her family and that they actually found her and can have some type of i don't know i don't know if closure's the word but you know yeah, it just sucks that it seems like it was kind of something that they sus- not suspected would happen, but they as soon as something bad happened, they knew it was this guy and that he was involved and that something terrible had happened. Very sad. With any updates or any other information we get, we'll post it on our blog, website, yeah. you know, one of our 8,000 platforms, <laughs> and we'll keep you updated in our following episodes, too. So next, we're going to talk about Crystal Rogers. So we actually have our own little group for Crystal, which we've had for a few years. So this is one that we've been kind of across as it's been happening. And as Steph said, it's been going since 2015 and there's still no resolution. So um, it's a very interesting one. And I know there's been other, there's a podcast series and a, a documentary, I think, called Bardstown, which is about the area that she came from and about Crystal's case and you know all the other things that we're going to go into that have happened around, you know, that little town. Crystal went missing on July 3rd, 2015, and really there have been no developments or any revelations about where she is, where she could have gone. Another day passes and hundreds of hearts continue to hurt as they search for Crystal Rogers, an army of people surrounding her family who say they're certain that somebody knows something about their daughter's absence. I'm hurt. It irritates me that somebody knows something and they won't come forward. Her keys were in her car, her cell phone was in her car, the door was open and she just disappeared into thin air. And her family is thinking, well, we know she didn't just disappear. Something had to have happened. You know, everybody says, keep your faith. I have a lot of faith, but each day goes by, you kind of lose just a little bit of that. Crystal went missing from Bardstown in Kentucky on July 3, 2015. Her family tried to contact her for two days via text and phone, but they couldn't reach her. So they, they also became worried pretty quickly, just the same as Melinda's case. Crystal's 2007 four-door Chevrolet was found abandoned pretty soon after she was last seen. I found some reports that say it was found on July 4 and others say July 5, but either way, it was just a day or two after she was last seen. It was found with a flat tire near mile marker 14 on the Bluegrass Parkway. The keys were in the ignition and her personal belongings, which were her keys, cell phone and purse, were found inside the car and also scattered around the vehicle. 
So when they did find the vehicle, police began their investigation. Around July 5 or 6, again, I've found different articles with different dates, but the police held a press conference about the case. It's a bit of a shame because a lot of the links that I found when trying to tie down this timeline are now broken, I guess, because it's been six years. But anyway, it doesn't really matter. It was pretty quickly after she disappeared. Officials said Brooks Houck, who's Crystal's boyfriend, was the last person to see her alive when they were at his family farm the night of July 3rd. Sheriff Ed Mattingly said at the time that Houck was fully cooperating with the investigation and her family also announced at that time that they were putting up a $25,000 reward for information. Crystal's mother is Sherry Ballard and she's very vocal in Crystal's case. She's kind of like the figurehead of the case. You'll, You'll hear a lot about her in the next bit of this podcast but she said at the time we love her and we're trying to find her and we just want her to come home. So the Bardstown community are very close-knit and they started up a big search for Crystal. A resident, a family member, sorry, of Crystal's, Sammy Johnson, said, we've searched the rivers, we've searched farms, houses, sinkholes, wells, any place she might be. An interesting little tidbit is that Brooks, who was Crystal's boyfriend, never participated in any searches for her. I know that, you know, some of his excuses were that they had a young son and he was caring for the son and all that type of thing, but he never participated. Yeah. Um, Brooks was questioned very early on by the Nelson County Sheriff's Office lead detective John Snow, (laughs) which is an interesting name there. In that interview, Brooks said that uh, Crystal and their two-year-old son, who was Eli, and himself left the family farm around midnight, the night of July 3rd. He said when they got back to their house, they went straight. He went to bed and Crystal stayed up playing games on her phone and that when he woke up in the morning, Crystal wasn't there. Um, Had you and Crystal ever talked about breaking up? I mean, obviously, we have fought just like any other, sure, uh, sure, sure. any other, uh, any other couple. But in the last several years, I mean, that right, it, it's came up. But we've always found ourselves together moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it's it's mentioned, but it's never it's never happened, and we've always found ourselves together moving forward. Okay. I know she didn't work out of the home currently, but had she worked out of the home recently? Had she had a job outside of taking care of the rental property? Well, she took care of uh, two young children. Uh, so she did some babysitting there at the house for some extra money. One little boy was about Eli's size, and the other was, I don't know how old, but he was a little bit older. And uh, I don't know how long, if it was eight months or a year, but she had worked at the store up the road from our house for the, I don't want to say anything discriminatory, uh, they, I don't want to say they're not Americans, but they yeah, don't, they're Indians. All right, yeah, I, don't don't wanna, the, I don't want to say nothing. The convenience that's store. Yeah, yeah, convenience store. She worked for some folks up there. I do not know. That, I think it might be Sandy or Sandeep or something like that, but I don't know is. They worked at, she worked up at that gas station for quite some time, but that, that's been quite some time ago. Was that before or after Eli was born? I think she started there before, before he was born, and she did work some there when he was, after he was born. She, was, she worked for a pretty good period of time there, but it's been quite some time back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's two and a half. So did you he's think a she, little bit over than two and a half. He'll be three in October. Almost three. Yeah. All right. So you think she was? You think it was a year ago or better since she worked there? Probably approximately. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I would say give or take a six month window there. 
something like that would probably be pretty accurate. But I do not know the answer to that. I do not know. I just know that it's been a period of time. Was it you? Have you all, when you, since you've lived together, have you all always lived on Glenview? That's the only house since Eli has been born. We brought him home from the hospital. We lived there. Okay. Yes. That's so the she, only residence. You all were living there when she was working at the, uh, and when she stopped working at the. Yeah, when she stopped, yes, when she stopped working there. There was, I don't know, maybe four or five other girls that worked up there with her. I don't know their names. They didn't have a large amount of employees, just a few. When you said you all had had, you know, talk about splitting up, had that been more recently or... Was that before Eli was born, or had that been? I don't. Since I don't Eli? remember the exact uh, exact dates. But if you'll remember, recall back in a couple of days ago when we had talked. Mm -hmm. Whenever usually that had came up, she had always went to like Sabrina's house, or she went out with Brooke or to her parents uh, for a short period of time, a day, day and a half. And uh, after she cooled off. Uh, and we had a chance to talk a little bit. We always found ourselves back together, but uh, there it has been uh, at times a stressed relationship. I'm not here telling you anything other than that. Sure. That is the truth, and that's accurate. Yeah. Um, that has been discussed, but we've always found ourselves together. Uh, we loved each other very much, and that right there is the the bottom uh, bottom end of it. Well, the reason I ask is because. Uh, there are some people that she's associated with that are telling us that she had made some tentative plans to leave, uh, like looking at an apartment at that store above the, the apartment above the store. I'm just trying to figure out if that was something that was ancient history or if that was something that was more recent. Well, that's, that, that's news to me. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about that. So when you all, uh, well, let's say, let's say the last time you all had discussed splitting up, she didn't discuss any specifics with you about moving to an apartment or anything like that. Just that you all were having some issues and you resolved it. Say all that again. Yeah. Break your question. Break them down. The last bit. time that you all had uh, that type of a disagreement, okay? The last time that there was the possibility that you might split up. Did she specifically talk to you about moving out somewhere? Not, no, not anything that I She's never had an isolated point saying, hey, I'm, I'm moving here, moving there. I don't I don't recall anything like that. Okay. No, sir. That, that, that was my question. All right. Just if she had... Well, sometimes I... And I, I know that you all do this for a little bit. Sometimes I feel like when you ask me a question, you put so many things... I'm, so many things and I'm thinking we need to dissect it a little bit so I can answer each part specifically rather than put so and I'm not upset at me for saying that to you no, 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 put no, so no. much stuff in one I want to break it down in a simplified direct question rather than put so much information into one question try to come answer one and have a bunch of parts in one no know. that's fine if you right. need me to that's fine what you did right there is just fine this info comes from WRDB.com. In the middle of this interview with Brooks, his phone rang. When he answered it, he, it was his brother Nick telling him not to talk to investigators. What's interesting is that at the time of that call, Nick was an officer with the Bardstown Police Department. So this is where it all kind of, you know, you, you get an idea of the shadiness of this family. Mm -hmm. 
Um, on July 9, Brooks did an interview with Nancy Grace. He said that he and Crystal had a stressed relationship at times, but he denied having anything to do with her disappearance. He actually said, I'm 100% completely innocent in this. My whole family's name is trashed for something completely not even tied to me. It's taking a lot of energy and effort. I can't even go on the side of the road without looking like a murderer. <laughs> I mean, kind of look like a murderer just hanging on the side of the road. Yeah, like what? <laughs> Very strange statement. I don't need an attorney. I'm innocent. This is This to me is starting to get silly. So, Brooks, you go to bed, and she's still playing games on her phone. The next morning, around 8 o'clock, you notice that she's missing. Did you report her missing? No, ma'am. Why? That is a great question and one that I definitely uh, want to hit the other public and the media. Um, I was not in the least little bit alarmed in any way, shape, or form. Um, we have had a stress relationship at times, and uh, one of the ways that Crystal has always chose to uh, cope or to deal with that is by going to a young woman's name, Sabrina, that is her cousin, her dad's brother's daughter, whom she's very close to. And she spent the night there on several occasions. When you say several, do you mean one, three, twenty? In the neighborhood of four to six. Uh, some people have accused you of not being involved enough in the search efforts. What's your response? That is a great question, and one I certainly appreciate you asking me. And that is uh, all of my efforts searching for her have been done behind the scenes with the Nelson County Sheriff's Office. Like what? De Detective, uh, Detective Snow, who's leading the investigation. Well, my, my question was because, what you had been doing with them, but let me ask you this. I know that you agreed to take a polygraph. Did you pass? They, because of the way that the lines or whatever were on the thing, they determined it to be what's called inconclusive. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but they did tell me it didn't. It does mean that I wasn't lying or I didn't pass it or I didn't fail it. They just ruled it inconclusive, and that's exactly the way that it stands. I've been 100% completely honest um, with everyone. I've been 100% cooperative in everything that has been asked of me. I've not asked for any kind of legal advice or assistance or an attorney of any nature. I'm 100% completely innocent in this, and I have exhausted my efforts with the law enforcement agencies uh, to gather all the facts necessary to allow me to have a clean name again. Um, and that's very important um, to me. I have not responded to a lot of the negativity and all this animosity because I want the emphasis to remain on Crystal's safe return home. And that's where I want it to, uh, I want it to stay focused in that area rather than dealing with any of the animosity So a few days after that interview, we're at July 15, Brooke Ballard, who's Crystal's sister, spoke to WHAS 11, saying Brooks's story doesn't add up. And she says that Brooks has been uncooperative with the investigation. So August 2015, which is a month after she disappeared and Crystal's still missing. 
They were still searching for her. The Louisville um, Metro Police had been searching waterways, but they didn't find anything. The Bardstown people continued to help try to find Crystal. They held vigils and fundraisers, and they raised tens of thousands of dollars to put towards reward and also to help Crystal's children. On August 15, Crystal's parents, Sherry and Tommy, started a fight to get custody of Eli, the son that Crystal and Brooke shared. They filed for grandparents' rights and partial custody at that time. And this is a custody dispute that's still going on to this day. Um, It got very messy. Basically, Brooks didn't want them to have contact with the child. It's still going on. Tommy, who's Crystal's dad, said after the court hearing, he made eye contact with me and I made eye contact with him. I just want to see my grandson. I'm not worried about nobody but my grandson and my daughter. In October of that year, they were still waiting for a judge to decide on that specific case, you know, the grandparents' rights and everything. And Sherry said, today is Eli's birthday, his third birthday. And they said that they were caring for Crystal's other four children who weren't, she didn't have those children with Brooks. They were, you know, had other fathers. Um, And they said that Eli had not seen his other brothers and sisters since July 3rd. They haven't seen their brother. There is no sibling rights, so they can't do anything about not seeing their brother. They haven't seen him for three months. They've lost a mother and they lost a brother too. The kids are having a real hard time with that. I just can't understand why we haven't got to see that baby yet. So it's very sad. It would have been hard on those little kids to, you know, lose everyone. It's probably just hard to understand too. Yeah. October 16 now, um, Brooks's brother Nick was fired from the Bardstown Police Department for allegedly interfering with the investigation of Crystal Rogers. Nick, as we said earlier, warned his brother um, not to speak with detectives and that he told the Kentucky State Police that he only contacted his brother to tell him they might be trying to trip him up and he should protect himself. Nick also failed a polygraph test conducted by the FBI when he was questioned about the case. When they gave him the results, he got big mad. (laughs) He said, I don't give a goddamn what your fucking computer said. You're calling me a fucking liar and I don't like it when people call me a liar. So We don't like it when people lie. And we don't like it when people murder other people. (laughs) (laughs) Police officers held another press conference in October and they said that they believe Crystal was deceased. During this press conference, they announced that Brooks was the main suspect. And the sheriff said, I have eight pages of circumstances that led me to look in that direction. It's safe to say that she's deceased. And you can do that because people uh, uh, have certain ways that they do business. They have to have income. They have to have food. They have to have water. They have to have shelter. They have to have family. Uh, Crystal Rogers was extremely close with her family. She has had no contact with her family. So I think everyone knew from the start in this case that it was the main suspect was Brooks, but it took them a few months to actually confirm that. I think like as soon as the husband or partner doesn't show up to any of the searches for their missing loved one, partner, wife, whatever, it's the biggest red flag ever. Like every single time when they don't go to the search. Yeah, exactly. You think that, you know, if, well, anyway, I guess it's worked for him so far because he hasn't, anyway, won't do a spoiler. But yeah, you'd think that it would just be one thing that you'd do just to take the spotlight off you would be to go and at least participate in one search. Yeah, like do the normal thing and fucking go to the search. So uh, you, it come, becomes obvious that there's a lot of kind of little side pieces to this story. Um, you know, other people who kind of inserted themselves or didn't insert themselves for lack of a, you know, for whatever, trying to protect Brooks for whatever reason. But in 2013, 
2015, a man called Danny Singleton was arrested on 38 counts, um, they said, of false swearing after he allegedly lied under oath to a grand jury in relation to Crystal's disappearance. Danny is a close friend and longtime employee of Brooks. Um, he pled guilty and he was released from jail after he was in there for six months. So, you know, that's one person who's kind of went to jail for Brooks, essentially. Uh, 2016 now, so about, you know, six months after she disappeared, things started to slow down, but there were still some things going on in the case. Uh, the police conducted inv- uh, numerous searches on Hauk family property, including the home of Brooks's grandmother, Anna Whitesides. In June, Anna was served with a subpoena to testify before a Nelson County grand jury, but she invoked her Fifth Amendment right not to talk. They wanted to speak to her about a white car that she had at the time of Crystal's disappearance. Basically, that's what a lot of the a lot of that search was related to. She was 82 at the time, so she was a bit of a, um, you know what the word is, very stubborn, I guess, you know, stood her ground anyway. She, a curmudgeon. She really didn't want them to search. Yeah. They also searched her house again in August 2016, and at the same time, they searched the Hauk family farm uh, that involved the Nelson County Sheriff, Jefferson County Sheriff, FBI, and Louisville Metro Police. They searched 300 acres of the farm with 14 cadaver dogs. In November 2016, which was 16 months after Crystal disappeared, tragedy struck her family again. I feel so sorry for this family. Her mother just seems like the kindest, sweetest person and they yeah, just had such a hard, hard run. I kind of forgot about this and just hearing it again, I'm like, oh, yeah. right. So Crystal's father, Tommy, who we spoke about earlier, you know, he had been part of the custody dispute and everything like that. He was shot in the chest and killed. He'd just been about to go hunting with one of his grandsons, who was Crystal's son. So Crystal's son lost his mother and then witnessed his grandfather being shot in the chest and killed. We're just asking anybody, whether they think it's important, whether it's just something they noticed and it could not be anything to them, it may be huge for us. Monday, state police returned to the family farm where Tommy Ballard was killed. He was shot while hunting with his grandson shortly before 7 a.m. Saturday. He is the father of Crystal Rogers, missing since 2015. Police investigating his death are specifically looking for people who are driving on nearby Bluegrass Parkway. Between mile markers 21 and 25, between 6.30 and 7.30 a.m. As far as a parked car or maybe somebody walking or anything that uh, that they uh, don't usually see in the woods or, or anything that was just out of the ordinary. Police are not saying if they know the direction from which the gunshot came. They ruled out a self-inflicted wound and say the grandson was not involved. They have not ruled out the possibility of another hunter's stray bullet. But Ballard family friend Kim Abel says nobody she knows believes it was an accident. I feel like all the community is concerned with their safety, um, with all the unsolved murders. So Tommy's murder is still unsolved to this day and the FBI are involved. Um, the FBI are also still involved in Crystal's death. So this is from the FBI website. It says, after his daughter Crystal disappeared in July 2015, Tommy Ballard created Team Crystal, a group of Bardstown, Kentucky community members dedicated to finding Crystal and bringing her home. On the morning of November 19, 2016, 16 months after her disappearance, Ballard was preparing for a hunting trip with his 12-year-old grandson on family property next to Bluegrass Parkway, which is also where Crystal's car was found as a, just a, you know, aside. Hmm. An unknown subject fired one shot and hit Ballard in the chest and instantly hit him. 
Sherry spoke to WDRB and she said, when that happened to my husband, it was no accident. She believes that Tommy was getting close to finding out what happened to Crystal before he was killed and that he had also told her he was being followed in the days before he died. Um, and it, so, as we said earlier, Bardstown is a very, you know, a small town, 13,000 people live there, but there's a lot of kind of shady things that have gone on there. And that's what the, the focus of that Bardstown documentary and podcast were, basically. In May 2013, a police officer, Jason Ellis, was ambushed on his way home from work and he was shot multiple times. They've never, ever found the murderer in his case. Nearly a year later, in April 2014, 48-year-old teacher Kathy Netherland and her daughter Samantha were found dead inside their home. Kathy had been shot multiple times while Samantha had been beaten around the head and both women had knife wounds on their necks. Again, no one has ever been found. So in this little town, they've got all these kind of unsolved things going on. A resident, Betty Greenwell, said, all these killings and murders and things going on here, it makes you nervous, very nervous. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, Crystal's aunt went missing from the area back in 1979. Frida, Shireen, who they also called Sherry Ballard, went missing from Bardstown and she was 19 at the time and seven months pregnant. Her remains were found in 1983, so about four years later, um, but her husband and another man were convicted and sentenced to life in prison for her murder. So for a family especially, they've had so so much tragedy over the years. So we're at July 2017, which is two years after Crystal went missing. Brooks has a new girlfriend who is also Crystal. Um, Crystal Light. I've, I've written, <laughs> yeah, I've written in my notes Crystal Light because she actually looks like Crystal Rogers. She's blonde. Um, she, uh, her name's Crystal. I think it's Maupin, mm-hmm. M-A-U-P-I-N. Anyway, they are still together now, but... At the time, 2017, Crystal was arrested for going around Bardstown, ripping down sign that Crystal Rogers supporters and family had put up. They had signs that say, like, prayers for Crystal and things like that. She was going around the town and taking them down. There's a video of her getting in the car and taking it down the sign. What a bitch. I know. What a bitch. She is a bitch. Um, and I like there's if you look at her Facebook, there's a photo of her with Brooks, and I'm assuming maybe they also have a son, or she had a son, and and then the son he had with Crystal. So they're playing happy families with Crystal's Gross. son. Ugh, that's so fucking. Yeah, no, such a, must be such a sl- slap in the face for Crystal's family, Crystal Rogers' family. Yeah, I'd be. I don't know how people do it. I would lose my fucking mind. Yeah, Sherry Ballard spoke at the time of the sign sign gate <laughs> and said, why wouldn't she help us? Why wouldn't she give us all the support if he's so innocent like he says he is, which is true. Mm-hmm. Crystal was charged with theft by unlawful taking. And I know she had to write a letter to the family and kind of apologise. Like yeah, like they made her write an apology. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That also would have been a slap in the face because you know that she would have been not sincere in her apology. I just would have... Not thought it was funny, but just been like, hmm, you had to write an apology letter like a 10-year-old. <laughs> um, in November 2017, which was one year after Tommy died, there were signs started appearing around Bardstown, which implicated Brooks in Crystal's disappearance. Like, I've got a photo of one of the signs, and it say, Detectives say Brooks Hat killed Rogers. So her, Crystal Rogers's family deny any involvement in the signs, and still to this day, it's not known where they came from. So... It could have been um, anyone, guess, though. There's so many yeah, people like, passionate about this case that I wouldn't be surprised if it was some rando. Could have been someone from Facebook. 
<laughs> no, honestly. I that either. So summer of 2018, now we're at just over three years after Crystal disappeared, Brooks was arrested for stealing more than 200 bundles of shingles from Lowe's during four separate visits during an 11-day period. He pled not guilty to a handful of felony theft charges. In November 2018, a court ruled Sherry could no longer see Eli. She had been previously seeing him every other weekend, so she appealed that decision. And as I that's said, that's still up. Why would they on. say that? I think I'll get, I'll get into it a bit later, but basically Brooks has implied that Sherry has said negative things like to Eli about him. him. Yeah, yeah. So I, I've got like, – when as this goes on, I'll go through it. But, yeah, basically mm. she, he told the judge that it was detrimental that Sherry was seeing Eli. It sucks. Brooks's trial for the Lowe's theft was held in 2019 and a jury found him not guilty, which is a shame. We're all rooting for him yeah, to what? be guilty. But anyway, a juror spoke after the verdict was handed down and he said it was his mistake and their mistake, but 80% theirs because the workers, every one of them has only been there two months. So, you know, it just sounds like it was a bit of a mess anyway. So things were pretty quiet until 2020 from then on in this case. Uh, as I said, Brooks and Crystal Light are still together <laughs> on the fi- five-year anniversary of Crystal's disappearance, which was July 2020. One of her kids spoke to the media. Kylie Fenwick was 14 at the time when Crystal disappeared and was 19 at the time of her aniver- of the, this five-year anniversary. So in that interview, Kylie spoke about the day that her mother went missing. She said, I was calling and texting and she wasn't answering. Nobody could get a hold of her um waking up every day not being like wake able to wake up and be like hey mom what are you gonna do today just like normal little things like the little things really matter more than like the big huge things so that's you know it's sad for her to grow up without a mom and not to ever have you know figured out what happened to her so we're at July 23, 2020, just after the five-year anniversary. Nelson County Sheriff's Office investigators became aware of the existence of human remains in a remote area near the Washington County line. Also new here at 6, the family of Crystal Rogers is waiting to hear if remains found in Nelson County belong to the Bardstown mother who has been missing since 2015. As we first reported right here last night, we've learned that the Sheriff's Office has notified the family after the discovery near the Nelson and Washington County, Kentucky border. Tonight, Gabby Agatis is in that area tonight and brings us this update. Police first learned about the human remains on Thursday. The next day, they called the FBI's evidence response team due to the, quote, difficult to reach location. The discovery was near the border of Nelson and Washington County. Sources close to the case believe it's a location where Crystal Rogers was last seen on July 3rd, 2015. We thought, or I know me and Jeanette anyway, Jeanette's really into this case. We thought this was it. This was Crystal. This had to be Crystal. The remains were found very close to where she disappeared. They're around four miles from the Hauk family farm. Um, And I feel like the investigators also thought it was probably likely to be Crystal's. So I'll Mm -hmm. just read the statement that they made at the time. It says, The Nelson County Sheriff's Office confirmed in a statement Sunday that human remains had been recovered in a rural part of the county. The skeletal remains were discovered Thursday evening and investigators called in the FBI to help. So it goes on and it says... um, He said the office was not going to speculate on whose remains they might be, while the highest profile missing person in the area is Crystal Rogers, who went missing in July 2015 
2017 and is presumed dead, there are other lesser-known cases of missing people. The FBI came into town and they also said that the estimated age of the victim is estimated between 24 to 82 years. Solid range. Yeah, was probably female and that the height is estimated to be between 5 foot 2 and 5 foot 10. Um, they said they couldn't yet exclude the possibility that the remains could be male, but I believe at the time they said they, they thought it was a female. So we thought, you know, all those things, I know the age range is very broad, but the height could have been crystal. We, I, I was 90% sure it was crystal. I was pretty sure. Um, so while they waited for the news about the remains and who they belonged to, FBI agents turned up in August 2020 to a storage unit that belonged to Crystal's family. So by this stage, the FBI had taken over the investigation. One, you know, Once the human remains were found, they took it over. The agents went through boxes of belongings at the storage unit, piling up items outside, including, including clothes, toys, diapers, TV, and furniture. Sherry Ballard let them into the unit and consented to the search. Luckily, I guess, or, you know, they also, Sherry had stored the car that Crystal had abandoned or, you know, that was found abandoned after Crystal disappeared and the FBI towed that vehicle away for further investigation. So I would hope that that car had been investigated before this. Um, but it always annoys me when they, it. like, go back. When they're like, we're going to, like, go look at this car again, even though it has been touched for all these years. So I'm like, well, what did you do the first time? There's a um, similar case, or not similar, but a case of another missing person, Eric Franks, um, and they, like, I think he's been missing for over 10 years, and they just did the same. They found, like, tracked down his car, and like, why don't they just do these things at the time? It's crazy. Well, it's also, like, the girl who went missing in that park, and her car was there, and they found her, like, in a mm. dr- drain. Maybe Stepek. Wasn't it the same Maybe thing Stepek. with, yeah. Wasn't the yeah. same thing with her car, too? They were just, like, didn't do shit, and then years later, they were like, oh, we're going to look at the car now. Yeah, finally. I know. You think that that would, if... Yeah, anyway, whatever. I guess we've got the reasons why. (laughs) So November 2020, we got more news about the human remains. They did not belong to Crystal. Buried beneath the earth on the site of this creek bed, human remains. They were discovered in July on the border of Nelson and Washington counties. The Nelson County Sheriff's Office immediately notified Crystal Rogers' family, and they were hopeful. Her mother, Sherry Ballard, explained the feeling to me earlier this summer. It's it's very hard for me to have to wonder if that's my daughter and and I don't even know how to explain it because I don't I don't know how to explain how you would feel if you think that human remains would be your daughter. But after four months of waiting, news that Roger's DNA is not a match. The FBI releasing a statement late Friday, explaining the agency used the combined DNA index system to try to identify the remains, but has so far been unsuccessful. It wasn't the news the Nelson County community wanted to hear. The Nelson County Sheriff released this statement. Today we received word from the FBI that the human remains were not those of Crystal Rogers. Just like our community, we were hopeful it would assist in answers and closures in Crystal's case. The remains were processed through CODIS, which stands for the Combined DNA Index System. The case remains open as the human remains are unidentified. So then it goes on to say that they're going to continue to investigate Crystal's case. Um, They're not dropping the ball yet, but it says... The... um unidentified remains it just adds to like clearly there's another weird story related to bardstown that these unidentified remains are from too yeah and i've never actually like in my internet 
trolls. I've never seen anyone suggest who else it could be. Like, obviously, no, I could have missed it. But it's not like they're saying, well, it must be this person who went missing here. So it'll be yeah, interesting. It seems like I was just forgotten thing. about. Yeah. Uh, so reporter Shay McAllister spoke to Sherry, Crystal's mum, once the news broke. Uh, and Sherry texted her and said, In my heart, I truly never felt this was my daughter. This was my hope, though, of finally bringing my daughter home. And now I'm back to square one. I will never lose hope in finding my daughter. So it's very sad. It must be such She a also coaster. reminds me of um, Shannon from yep. Long Island Serial Killers, mom. Yes. Until she was better. So. But yeah, yeah just yeah. very Fuck. dedicated. What, yeah, wants justice. So we're now at 2021, and as of July, Crystal will have been missing for six years. Uh, the custody dispute that we spoke about earlier is still ongoing. Sherry spoke to Oxygen just this month and said that she's been denied visitation rights based on the claim made by Brooks that the child once heard something negative being said about him while he was visiting Sherry. The boy, who's Eli, asked Brooks, what did you do to my mummy? And he said, everyone wants to know. Sherry denies this and said she was also always very careful not to speak about Brooks in front of Eli. She said, I feel discriminated against. They can't hold it against me that my daughter was murdered and just assume that I'm going to speak badly of the father. They've denied me visitation for the last two years based on something that didn't happen and I didn't get to defend myself. It sucks because, like, he he also could have just, like, heard people talking about that, like, at school or something So it was such a high-profile case. Yeah, like, he's he was three at the time, so he must be, you know, six years later, he must be nine or ten. So it's, um, yeah, I'm sure that he, he would have heard talk around his mother at some point in that time. Yeah. So Sherry hasn't seen little Eli in over two years. She did see him once at a chance running at the local Walmart um, and that the Nelson County judge has denied access to Eli for, for her, citing animosity between the families that could pose a significant risk to emotional harm to the child. She said again, they just ripped that baby away from me because there's too much animosity. I've never denied the animosity, but I know people who go through a divorce and still get to see their children. I know I'm not the mother, but the no- mother's not here, and the father is the number one suspect. Yeah, it's like you're putting him with a most likely murder murderer murder suspect is better than the grandma who maybe said like a negative thing about this guy one time like it's not even that you know everyone just kind of knows but the police have actually said he's the number one suspect yeah so like i I, keep the kid there i can kind of which i know it's i don't really want to say it but i can kind of see where they're coming from because this poor kid has probably been through so much brooks has you know essentially never been charged even though we all know he allegedly probably did it. And maybe they mm-hmm. do have a bit of a family unit with Crystal Light and everything. So maybe they are just thinking that this is the least disruptive thing for Eli, um, which is still shitty. Legally, if it wasn't yeah. like the murder and stuff involved, that would be their decision-making process too. Yeah. Um, so I went on to NamUs to see if I could find any images or anything else about the human remains. But as far as I can tell, they're not actually in there, uh, in NamUs, which I know sometimes they're just not. But there are other um, human remains from the area in there. So I don't know what's going on with that, if it's an oversight or if they have maybe been identified and we just haven't been told or what's going on with that. But I'd be interested to know if anyone does know. Let us know. <laughs> So the search for Crystal still continues to this day. The FBI are still in charge and they're still offering a, a reward of up to $25,000 for information leading to the identification, arrest and conviction of the individual or individuals responsible for her disappearance. I just feel like, I don't know, 
I, I would love to know what happened to Crystal. There seems like there's a lot of areas based on, you know, the amount of land that the family owns where she could be. Mm-hmm. I think they said their farm was like 300 acres. And I know they searched it, but maybe they just missed an area or something like that. But I feel like this is a case where it's pretty obvious. I don't know why why Brooks did it if he did it. Um, but, they, you know, he, he admitted himself that they had a stressed relationship. So maybe one night he just snapped. Maybe Crystal wanted to leave. I, mean, I guess, we, you know, we can just speculate all we want about why, but it could have just been a, a snap. Yeah, and it seems like the police kind of messed up this investigation. I know a lot of people believe a lot of conspiracies about the police being involved with this case because of yeah. um, his brother, brother and whatever he was involved with. It also just kind of seems like they didn't investigate it very well in the first place and pro- maybe missed like important evidence that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, and I feel like, too, it's harder in a small town where kind of everyone knows everyone, and I know that's the whole premise of the Bardstown, you know, documentary and podcast and everything is that basically everyone kind of knows but no one's talking and it would be hard to for the police to investigate in a town like that. Yeah, it's weird how many people, like, take up for Brooks for some reason. Like, that one yeah. guy got arrested for covering yeah. for him and the brother lost his job probably trying to yeah. protect his brother. Like, it's clearly Brooks not that great. Is, is not. <laughs> the sharpest tool in the shed <laughs> but um yeah i don't know hopefully one day they'll either find crystal or someone will spill and talk because i don't know where else they can go from here if it's been this long and they haven't found her they either need to just get lucky and find remains or someone needs to spill yeah i always think it's so crazy with i think it's all the cases that we're going to talk about in this Besides Melinda, this one, and then the two that we're going to talk about. And the next episode, they all are basically unsolved, no bodies. It's always just, like, yeah. so weird to me when they just can't How find can the fucking a- body. And I feel like a lot of these, well, I think maybe Julos and but they, they and Crystal, they were kind of maybe not that premeditated, maybe just as a snap decision. So it's crazy to me that they are still Get not found. Get away with it, because, essentially. Yeah. So what we're going to do with these this episode or episodes is we're going to cut it off here for episode one and we'll be back next time with Suzanne Morphew and Jennifer Doulas's cases in regards to missing wives. So yeah, that's it for this episode. Um, as we said before, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter. Um, we now have a subreddit at True Crime Society and our website, truecrimesociety.com. That's where our forum is. And then all of our blog posts are at truecrimesocietyblog.com. If you want any of those links and you're driving right now and you're like, oh, I'm not going to remember this, just go to our Facebook group that you're definitely already in and everything is listed there, pinned to the top. So be sure to do that so you don't miss out on anything. As usual, rate, review, subscribe, share with your friends, get your friends to listen, get your mom to listen. I know your mom loves true crime. Like, get her in on it. Otherwise, we will see you guys next episode, and we will finish talking about how it is always the husband, allegedly. Allegedly.